Once again, I'm the pastor of Student Ministries at Kinder Community Church. Uh, I've been there for this, let's see, this summer will be two years. And I, uh, if you can hear my accent, I'm actually from Texas and uh, Oklahoma, Texas, those areas. And so please forgive my accent. But hey, let's start right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's just bathe this time with uh, prayer and ask the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to join us. Uh, ask Him to lead us and to illuminate our minds, to give us understanding of what the Word of God says. So let's pray. Our great Father, we love you so much, and Father, we come to you now as needy people. Father, we don't, we don't come expecting to give a gift to you. Father, we don't come as people, um, uh, a people who can come and, and um, do something wonderful for you. Father, we come as needy people needing to receive. Father, we come as poor, destitute, uh, Father, helpless, and we need uh, our greatest need met of all, Lord. And we, we may think in this room... All sorts of thoughts like we need this and we need this and we need this, but the ultimate truth is that we need your word. Father, the, uh, the ultimate truth, maybe we don't even realize it, but the greatest need of our life is to hear from you. So Father, would you in this time speak directly to our hearts, uh, speak directly to our affections and our desires, that we might have a, a new hunger to pursue you as our greatest treasure and our greatest pleasure of life. And Lord, we love you and we give this time to you. We pray these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody say it, amen. Open up in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. As we begin and as you're turning there, I have a question for you. What do you hope to give to the next generation? I'm a student pastor and I'm always thinking about the next generation coming up. And as I sort of scouted out the room this morning, I noticed that there are a lot of parents here, a lot of kids, right? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you have children on this campus somewhere today? Let me see a show of hands real quick. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Uh, A lot of parents, and if you are not a parent, Lord willing, maybe it's in God's will that one day you will be, or um, uh, there's someone that you would influence over the next generation, But every father and every mother leaves a legacy with their children, and there's really no exceptions with that. Every single father and every single mother is going to leave something behind, some sort of legacy. The only question is, what kind of legacy is that going to be? What's that going to look like? I I saw this. uh, A a team of New York State sociologists attempted to calculate the influence on a father's life. This was so interesting. I thought this, it blew me out of the water. So what they did was they got two men that lived at the same time. One guy's name was Max Jukes. In the 18th century, he lived. And the other guy's name was Jonathan Edwards. And they took these two guys and they they tracked down every descendant from those two generations. And the results were absolutely amazing. Max Jukes was an unbeliever, He was an atheist, and he was just a man of no principles. And his wife, same thing. She lived and she died an atheist. Listen to the legacy that his his family left behind. Of 1,200 known descendants, listen to their legacy. 440 lives of outright debauchery. 310 lives of paupers and vagrants. 190 lives of public prostitutes, 130 convicted criminals, 100 alcoholics, 
60 habitual thieves, 55 victims of impurity, seven murders. And that's his family tree. That's what he left behind. In fact, research shows that of Juke's descendants, not one made a contribution to society, a significant contribution to society. In fact, to the contrary, they collectively cost the state of New York $1,200,000. Not much of a legacy, was it? Listen to this one, though. Listen to Jonathan Edwards. Most of you know who Jonathan Edwards was, right? He was just such a great leader in the first Great Awakening, the, the true Great Awakening. We're not going to talk about the second Great Awakening, right, with Finney and those guys. But the first Great Awakening was awesome. Jonathan Edwards preached on sin, and he preached on, on revival, and, and the Holy Spirit moved, and he, all he was doing was just preaching the gospel. And the Spirit moved, and, and a lot of people got saved. So Jonathan Edwards... He was a pastor. He was a theologian. He was a scholar. In fact, many of you know he was the president of Princeton College in the early days. But he came from a godly heritage, and he married Sarah, a woman of great faith. Listen to his, just his male descendants. Listen to this. Of all of his descendants, there were 300 missionaries, clergymen, or theological professors. There were 120 college professors There were 110 lawyers. There were 60 physicians, 60 authors of good books, 30 district judges, 14 presidents of universities, numerous giants of American industry, three United States congressmen, and one vice president to the United States of America. Now that's a legacy. And I just want to point you to this. The legacy that you leave behind is dependent on how you adhere to the Word of God today, right now. You've heard the, uh, the saying, there's no success without succession. And the question I have for you today is, what kind of legacy are you passing to your children and then to your children's children? What kind of legacy are you giving them? So today, I just want uh, to pose this question. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to have that? Wouldn't you like to be able to pass that on to your children and see them used of God to contribute to helping others, helping the poor, being missionaries, being doctors, being, being pastors, being those who go out and preach the gospel, or maybe they just work a job, but they're faithful to the gospel. It's a, a life well lived. Wouldn't you like to have that? So today, I just want to talk about how to pass on your faith, and I want you to look in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, we're going to start in verse 4. And I just want to remind you, this is the most important mission that moms and dads that you have. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Let's read that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today, those words, they shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. These are pretty clear instructions. 
These are pretty incredible, though, when you start to think about them. And today, I just want to show you three ways to pass it on to the next generation. And I want to encourage you who are parents, and those of you who are are going to be parents one day, or maybe those of you who are grandparents now, I want to show you just three ways from this text that you can pass it on to the next generation, because I want you to know you can transfer your values to the next generation. You can pass on biblical values to your children and to teenagers, and you can equip them to live godly lives in a wicked and perverse world, in a wicked and perverse generation. You can do this. The question is how? How do we do that? How do we equip our kids? How do we prepare them to live a life that glorifies God? How do we prepare them and give them that desire to hunger and thirst after God? I want to show you three ways this morning. And I want to, I think before I give you that strategy, we need to have a context for that. By by the way, this is the great Shema, right? This is the hear, O Israel. This is uh, the command as they're going into this new land. Uh, In fact, it's a very famous passage in Judaism. Uh, In Judaism, a good Jew would want to die with this on their lips, right? It's a very famous passage. Everybody knows this passage. Everyone wants to live according to this passage in Judaism, right? But historically, that's what it's known as, the Great Shema. But these are God's instructions for how to pass on these biblical truths to the next generation. And this is God's marching orders on what to do. So look at verse 4. I want you to notice this. Hero is your, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command shall be on your heart. Families, fathers, mothers in the room, I want you to imagine right now that you're at a funeral. And as you're looking on at the funeral, you start to realize this is your funeral. And as you see the people that are taking the stand, your children, maybe your wife, husbands, or wives, maybe your husband, as they get up to talk about you, what would they say? Would they expound on your virtues as a father? Would, they, would your children say, my dad led me in the way of the Lord day after day after day? Or he made it his ambition to help me see Jesus Christ, to help me see Jesus as the greatest treasure of life, to help me see Jesus as the greatest prize that I could ever have. That's what my, God, that's what my dad did for me. That's what my mom did every single day. She got up and she showed me how to love Jesus. Would they say that about you? If it was your funeral... That's really the point of verses 5 and 6, verses 4, 5, and 6. You see, these commands are the essentials that you're to pass on to your children. In fact, look there. By saying that the Lord is one, we're really saying He's the only one. He's unique. He he alone's worthy of worship. And, And we've seen similar language to this in Exodus 15, verse 11, where it says, Who's like you, O God? Among all the other gods, who is like you. There's nobody like our God, right? You're to pass on this exclusive worship of God, this exclusive worship of Yahweh to your children above and beyond every other God of culture, every other God of the heart. That's what you're to pass on to your kids, right? So here we're seeing that you can't worship Yahweh as one of several gods or or one of Many gods. You can't worship him as one of several gods. He has to be exclusively your God, the one God, right? 
No other God shall come before him. And so I have to stop and ask parents, grandparents, future parents, would that be your epitaph? Would that be what's said of you, that you loved God with all your heart? Man, that he was your prize. He's the one you pursued with everything you had. He was what you hungered and thirsted after. He's number one. He's unique. He alone satisfies. He alone is omnipotent. He alone is good and removes your sin and gives you righteousness and that there's no other God in your life than him. That means you love him more than your car. You love him more than your house. You love him more than your career. You love him more than your favorite sports team. You love him more than anything else. He's the one you love to spend time with. That's the first one, exclusive. And the second one is drawn from it, right? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, that's passion. It's passion. So, so far we have a couple of things. Remember those two words that you're to pass on to your children. This exclusive worship of God, think the word exclusive, but also the passion, this passionate pursuit of God. That's what you're to pass on to your children from this text, all right? He's one, he's the only one, and there's also a desire for him more than anything else with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, right? Those, that's, that's the game plan. That's what God wants you to give your children. Now, here's the question. We're going to stop here. Here's the big question. How do I do it? How do I give my kids that exclusive worship of Yahweh? And how do I give my kids that, that exclusive passion for the Lord? And how do I do that? It's so hard. There's so many other things to be passionate for in this world. I mean, for crying out loud, we live in Disneyland, right? I mean, there's so many other things to hunger and thirst after. So how do I give that to my kids? And by the way, we're living in a crooked and perverse generation. And there's lots of other gods out there. And there's lots of other things to be passionate for out there. And how do I do that? How do I pass that on? I want to show you how. Number one, write this one down if you're taking notes. First way to pass on or produce a spiritual legacy is intentional teaching. Intentional teaching. There's a uh, pastor, I believe he's at uh, Compass Bible Church. His name's Mike Fabares. And um, he came to our church one time. He did a, a seminar on parenting. And one of the things he said was, hey, look, my kids go to public schools. They do. They go to public schools. And we love it. They go in there and they evangelize the public schools. And uh, it's a good thing. They love that. But he said, you know what? Every kid ought to be a homeschooler. Not in the sense that every kid ought to be homeschooled, but they need to be schooled at home. They need to be taught at home. That means you need to have moments of intentional teaching at home, around your table, on the couch, in the living room, wherever, where you actually have a game plan to train up your children. Bar none, every single parent needs to be doing this. What's that look like? How do we make our teaching intentional and not accidental? That's the question. How do we do that? Well, uh, I have an example. It's from my personal life. And uh, my father, who I just revere, I really do, I really do. In fact, my dad always 
quotes that, that George Bush saying, right? Uh, I think it was George Bush Sr. Someone asked him and said, hey, what's your greatest accomplishment in life? And he said, my kids still want to come home to see me, right? That's his greatest accomplishment. My dad says that. And uh, look, me and, me and my brother, we love our father. But one of the things that he's, he's done and he did for us as we were growing up that I just revere him for every day before school, Get us up out of bed at six o'clock in the morning. Who gets up at six o'clock in the morning? Come on, right? As a teenager, he gets us up at six o'clock in the morning and we're gathered around on the family sofa in the living room and he's reading the Bible to us. And he's saying, kids, this is what this means. And he's saying, as you go to school today, I want you to live this out. And I want you to try to be this. That's awesome. That is incredible. I, I revere my father today, and I want to be that for my son and my daughter. I, uh, I, I see this, though, in our culture. We're a culture of accidental learning. We learn if it's, if it's the right time, right? Or if by accident. Guys, we need to be a race, a Christian race of, of believers who intentionally teach our children, right? This is your job. And look, I'm a youth pastor, but I, I tell our parents all the time, this isn't my job. I'm a supplement to what you're already doing. I, I, look, it's squarely on your shoulders for your children. I'm just, just going to come alongside you and reaffirm what you're already, or what you should already be saying. That's my job. I'm just a pastor. Moms and dads, it's your job to raise up the next generation, right? Verse 6, look there. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Right? Second person pronoun, right? You, your, your. Why diligently? I have to stop and just ask that question. Why do you think, why do you think that this guy says, hey, teach them diligently? Why does Moses record that? These are the words of God. Why is God saying diligently? This is what I would propose to you. There are other teachers out there who want to teach your children. There are other teachers who want to steal your children. Say it like that. They want to steal their mind. And right now, at this very moment, there's a battle for the mind going on. All right? And if you don't teach them, if you don't diligently, let's remember that word, diligently teach your son or your daughter in your home, there are other teachers who are going to teach your children when they leave your home, okay? In fact, these other teachers, teachers will teach them the glory of evolution and the glory of secular humanism and the glory of worship of mother and nature and the glory and the worth of animals and birds and all sorts of things over children in the womb. That, that's our culture. That's where we live. The reason you're to be diligent in training up your children is very simply because there are other teachers out there that will take them if you don't. You're not going to believe this. I, uh, I, I barely believe it, actually. I, I got this from National Geographic. I don't think they're lying. I don't think they are. The only thing I know they're lying on is evolution and stuff like that. But uh, I don't think they're lying on this, all right? But there's, there's this plant, and I featured it in a National Geographic there's this plant in some jungle somewhere, Bahuka jungle, I don't know, it's some jungle, it's there, and there's this plant, it grows up, and it has this flower, all right? 
And the flower, when it blooms, it opens up like a cup. And these bugs, they smell the sweet nectar of the flower, and they crawl up the flower, up onto the petals, the top petals, and the flower, it secretes two things. Number one, it secretes this slippery material all around the edge of the rim of the flower. And it also secretes a pool of poison in the base of the flower. It's amazing. I just, I, it's unbelievable. These bugs, they, they crawl up the flower, they walk around the, the edge of the flower, they fall in the poison, and they die. And the flower consumes these bugs as some form of nutrient. It's amazing. I, I mean, unbelievable stuff. But that's not the truly amazing thing. Did you know there's a spider that lives over this flower? And the only thing that it eats, the only thing, and the only way it lives is by dropping down a long slender line into this flower with a pool of poison at the bottom, grabbing these bugs, plucking them out of the poison, pulling them back up, and eating the bugs. Let us all bow down to natural selection and nothing, that nothing made that, right? And let us all bow down. By the way, this is what other teachers would say. Let us all just bow down that nothing caused that into being and that absolutely that's there because of nothing and nothing brought that into existence and natural selection and all this stuff. Mindless matter created that. That's what our culture would say. Mindless matter. And I see, I see students all the time. I counsel people all the time who are just eating that up. And they're saying, yeah, mindless matter. Nothing. Everything's here because of nothing for no reason. And, and they're just like, I'm like, come on. Uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that everything didn't come from nothing, right? For no reason. How do atheists say you should parent? I was looking that up. And uh, perhaps you, you know that Richard Hitchens died recently, but there's a lot of other guys still out there. Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, all these guys, they're out there. And they were asked, hey, so you guys, look, how should we parent? And they said, listen, just don't tell your kids anything about origins. Just, you know what, when they get to college, we'll fix them. Hey, they want your kids. That's the bottom line. They want your children They don't want you teaching them anything, and they're hoping, they're begging and pleading that you would not train up your kids. That's what they want for you. Why? So that they can battle and capture the mind. That's why you've got to have intentional times to teach your son or daughter at home purposefully, daily, as much as you can. This is true for parents. This is true for future parents. This is true for grandparents. This is true for aunts, uncles, family members, anyone who can. You've got to take advantage of those moments for intentional teaching. Number two, if you're taking notes, number two, there's three ways, guys, three ways to train up and pass it on to the next generation. Number two, the second way to pass it on, to pass on your faith, to pass on a Christian worldview. Number two, you've got to have strategic talking. You have to have strategic talking. Look at verse 7. And guys, I hope 
I hope in your search for a new pastor that you are looking for someone who's just an expositor, someone who just takes the Word of God and pulls out the meaning out, straight out of Scripture. And I hope you can see these points are just coming straight out of the Bible. I hope that uh, as I'm praying for you that as you find your new pastor, that God would bless you by giving you a Bible expositor. All right? Look at verse 7. I just want to see that you, where I got this, okay? Verse 7, and you shall talk of them. You shall talk of what? What should you talk of? That exclusive worship of Yahweh and that passionate worship of Yahweh that you already have, you're going to talk about that. All right? You're going to talk about God. Right? Look what it says. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In Hebrew, this is, this is a double mirism. That's um, complicated, but it, what, it, what it really means is you're supposed to talk about God all the time. All day long, every day, as much as you can. From your, the time you go to bed, uh, or from the time you wake to the time you go to bed. That's when you're supposed to talk about God. All day long. How do you do that? Well, you've got to redeem these moments, and you've got to redeem these times where you can talk about God. Um, I'm a new dad. I have two kids. I have... Uh, uh, one that's three years old, that's Caleb, and I have one that's four months old, that's Selah Grace. And um, isn't, it, isn't it wonderful to be a parent? Isn't it awesome? It is, it is a blessing from God. But I, I did this study just as something that um, one day I was like, man, what am I supposed to be as a father? I'm a new dad. I'm, I'm not, you know, I've seen my examples and I've had, all of you have too, you've seen examples. But I said, me personally, what, what am I supposed to be? And I was thinking about this. How do, I, how do I implement strategic talking into my life? I want to be a dad who strategically teaches his kids all day long. What does that look like? So a couple of weeks ago, uh, my son and I, we were laying on the swing out back. And it was just one of those beautiful days, Southern California, blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. And we're just laying in the swing right? We're just, just swinging underneath the porch and just looking up into the sky. Cool breeze is blowing. Just, just one of those perfect moments. And, and Caleb says, Dad, look at how blue the sky is. And I said, wow, Caleb, it is so beautiful, isn't it? And he said, it's so big, Dad. It's so big. And I said, it is big. And I said, Caleb, you know, the Bible says that the heavens declare how big God is, his glory, the glory of God. The heavens, they declare it. They, they, they say how big God is. And look how big the sky is. Isn't it big? And he said, yeah. It's, and he says, it's really big. I said, so how big do you think God is? He says, really big. You know, he just gives me one of those intense, you know, just trying to get across to me how big he thinks God is in his, in his three-year-old mind. And it's, it's so cool, that moment where he just finally, it clicks. God is huge. That's what it looks like. And look, I don't have this down perfect, but uh, I'm a new dad and I'm trying to grow in this. But I think that's what, that's what it's supposed to kind of look like. You take those day-to-day -day moments, those, those teaching opportunities and you try to give something of who God is to your children during those moments, right? Look what it says. When you sit in your house, we do a lot of that, right? Watching football or watching basketball this week, right? Um, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, that's traveling, 
right? How many of you ride in a car with your children? When you're traveling, when you lie down, I put my kid to sleep, my kids to sleep every night and I pray over them and I try to give them something for the next day and try to, to pray over them. Um, or when you rise, right? We have prayer time and we have a time in our breakfast where we read the Bible together, right? That's what it's supposed to look like. All day long, you're giving them something. So what does this look like? When you're riding in a car together, talk about God. When you're watching the presidential address, talk about God. Give them a Christian worldview, right? Say, hey, this is what this president's saying. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what these people are saying. Give them commentary. Give them some truth. When you're watching football together, somebody takes a knee, right, on the field. Talk to them about the glory of God, how, how God is glorified and not glorified by Christian athletes. I don't know. Every, every chance you can get, use it in a chance as a teaching opportunity for your children. Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. Guys, we're living, we're living in evil, evil days. And if you want to bring up the next generation, you've got to sort of redeem the time. In fact, that's actually the translation in Ephesians 5, redeem the time. It's a monetary market translation, right? It's a marketing term, as in buy. You need to, to go and get back as much time as you can afford, right? As much as you can possibly afford, redeem that time, okay? Why? We have to come back and ask that question. Why, do, why is it so important that I redeem the time that I have with my children? Why is that such a big deal? All right, let me see the parents one more time. Hands up. Parents, one more time. How many of you have some children that are in their teenage years? Real quick, teenage years, yeah? Okay. How many of you have children out of the home? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Is it not amazing how fast your children grow up? Is it? It is, isn't it? It's shocking and scary. I, <laughs> I look at my son and I, it's like he's growing an inch every week, right? We had a... Uh, I was measuring Caleb last week, and we had this couple over to our house, and we were, they were asking him, hey, Caleb, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, he, without missing a beat, he just comes out and says, 40 inches. I'm like, Every, they did exactly that. Everybody around the dinner table did exactly that. We just started laughing, and they're just like, Caleb, why do you, why do you want to be 40 inches? And uh, we explained to them that Caleb is a Cars fanatic, and he wants to ride the rise at Cars Land, and and he uh, he is absolutely just just given over to that, and he can't wait. He's got a couple more inches to go. He's got this hair that just kind of sticks straight up. We're hoping some of that'll count. And um, but anyways, um, he's growing. I mean, just in the past couple of months, he's grown a couple of inches, and it's just like I'm watching this kid grow up before my eyes, and you start thinking thoughts like, oh my goodness. He's going to be gone soon. I don't have much time left with him. I mean, it's amazing how, how fast kids grow up. Um, and, and the crazy thing is, is that many of the things that I have to teach my son, he's not ready to hear at, at three years old. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things I have to tell Caleb. There's a lot of things I have to teach Caleb, but he's just, he's not ready to hear them. 
You have a, such a short period of time with your children. This might be a helpful exercise for you. Go ahead, write down the number of years you have left with your children. Write down when you're going to start talking about certain things that you need to tell them about life and about God. It's, it, it's sobering. It really is. Time is short. This morning I brought a picture. I, this is, uh, let's see if we have it here. Do we have the picture? This is a picture by uh, Norman Rockwell, and it's called Breaking Family Ties. How many of you guys have seen this? It's a very famous painting you have. Okay, great. Um, very famous painting. This is called Breaking Family Ties. The young man, he's uh, looking for a bus that's going to take him away to college and take him off to marriage and college and then a job and then a family. And hey, who knows where? His future lies ever before him. Not sure where he's going. But he's, there he is. He's got his textbooks by his side. The family dog has sort of given up on him, not wanting to give up on him. Um, but look at the dad. The dad looks different, doesn't he? Um, sad. Kind of experiencing the close of an era. His son is leaving, and along with his son, part of his heart. It's a bitter moment when a father has to realize that your time is up with your children, that they're moving out. It's bitter. It's tough. I've never gone through that. I haven't gone through that yet, but I know my day's coming. And many of you who have gone through that can attest that it's tough to see your kids go. It really is. And I just want to say this. Parents, you're to be diligent with your children simply because of this. You don't have much time with them. Time is short. All parents have experienced this. One day you're having dinner, your son or daughter says something insightful. Maybe you measure their height, and like me, you realize my time with my children is flying away at an alarming rate. Time is short, and this is the command of Holy Scripture. You're to teach them, and you're to talk with them. You're to redeem what little time you have with them as much as you can, as much as you can afford, Ephesians 5, redeem as much time as you possibly can with your children. Parents, this day is coming. Prepare yourself. Be strategic with your teaching and your talking. If you've not been doing this, I would just say, hey, start today. Use the ride home to ask your kids, hey, what'd you learn in Sunday school? Let's talk about God. Let's talk about what the Lord is teaching you and what the grace that he's giving you today just by being at this church. Let's talk about it and what you learned and how big God is, Right? Time's short, and by the way, don't do this as a, I have to do this, right? Don't do it like that. Guys, it is a joy to disciple your children. It is, an, it is a blessing that God has entrusted them with you, and you need to rejoice in doing that. I, th I think we're so busy, aren't we? We are such a busy culture, aren't we? I, uh, one busy dad, he, he redeemed some time with his son. He took the day off to go fishing with his, with his little boy. He left behind a desk, a cluttered desk, unfinished business, and the father drove to the lake where he spent the day with his son fishing. I love it. They were fishing, they were rowing, and very important, they were talking. They talked about God, and they talked about their relationship. Very good, very good.
Throughout the day, all the father could think of was this pressing deadline that he'd left behind. He, all he could think about were the phone calls that he would have to return. All he could think about was the assignments to finish and the meetings that he would have to make up. That's all he could think about. Years and years later, the two journals were found, Dad's journal and the son's journal. And Dad's journal read, another day I'm going to have to catch up at the office, another day wasted. The son's journal read, Dad took me fishing and Dad talked to me. This is the best day I've ever had. Best day of my life. You guys need to rejoice in this. Being a father, being a mother, it's a wonderful gift of God. Being a grandparent, it's an honor. It's a blessing from the Lord. I, uh, every once in a while, I'll have someone come in for counseling, and they don't see having children as a blessing. And I have to take them to the psalmist who says, hey, having children is an inheritance of the Lord. It's a blessing of God. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And we have to think biblically. And I, 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 sometimes I just sit down and I ask them when we're doing counseling, I say, hey, so who's right? Are you right or is the word of God right? Because the Bible says children are a blessing. And you're saying, I hate my kids. And I hate discipling my kids because they're mean and they're rude. And I say, no, no, no. The word of God says children are a blessing. And you need to start seeing it as that. They're a blessing, someone to be invested in and to get returns on as you invest in them. Hey, this is uh, the truth of raising a godly family. Um, passing it on to the next generation, it happens through our most valuable commodity, our time. And you've got to give yourself to talking with your kids as you rise, as you go to sleep, as you walk in a field, or as you're sitting down in the living room. You've got to give yourself to that. At Shepherd's, uh, how many of you, we had some people here that went to Shepherd's Conference, right? A, a good crew, yeah? We, uh, we got to hear Steve Lawson. I love that guy. He is just one of my favorite speakers, Steve Lawson. And he spoke on Martin Luther. Man, I'm a Luther fan. I love him. I love reading books about him. And uh, Martin Luther, one of the coolest guys in history. He just, he just was so stinking bold. You know, he did, he did what was right and didn't care. He didn't care about what the consequences were. Well, what Steve did, he didn't mention something. I'm just a big Luther fan. But what he didn't mention was uh, that Martin Luther had a child, and this child died at a young age. And he had to preach his own daughter's funeral. Tragic and painful, very painful. And this is one of the things he said at his funeral. I just, I ate it up. I love it. As he prayed, he said, Oh Lord, today I rejoice because I have delivered unto you your saint. Man, that's good, isn't it? That's a great way to think about it. God has entrusted me with a soul. And what a high calling. God has entrusted us as parents and grandparents and future parents with souls of children. And our role is to deliver them back to the Father. It's a high calling. 
You've got to have intentional teaching, times where you sit down and you purposefully train up this generation that's coming. And you also have to have times of strategic talking where you're driving down the road and you see something and you, you take a moment to talk about who God is as it relates to that. Number three, and this is the last one. You've got to have an authentic testimony before the Lord and before your children. An authentic testimony. You must have an authentic testimony. Look at verse 8. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets before your eyes, between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. By the way, we, we're still using, we're still using um, pronouns. Uh, you and, and them. We're using words like them. What does them refer to? That refers to that the very first thing we talked about, this exclusive worship of Yahweh. He's the one and only God. And this passionate worship of Yahweh. You're going to love him with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? All your heart and all your might and all your strength. That's what you're going to do. You're going to love him like that. All right, so let's read it again. You shall bind that, those things, exclusive passion. You shall bind that on your hand, okay? And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house. Now, this, this isn't literal, okay? Though it's been taken literally, right? How many, maybe some of you have been to Israel. I spent a month there with the IBEX program at, uh, at Master's Seminary. And uh, you see this walking around the streets of Jerusalem, okay? And all over the country. People have um, little versions of the Torah that they tie to their wrist, or, or they'll put frontlets on their head that kind of dangle down. Or they'll put, the, uh, they'll put the, the Torah on their, they actually put it on their forehead and tie it to their head. Um, it's actually pretty amazing to see. They're walking down the street and they have a little version of the, the Torah microprint on their forehead. What is that? What is that about? In fact, at my house, I've actually, I bought one of these things. It's a mezuzah. Maybe you don't know what a mezuzah is. A mezuzah is something that you attach to your door. And Jews, what they would do with this mezuzah is they would nail it to their door. It's a little tube. And they would roll up the scroll of this passage, by the way. They'd roll it up and they would stick it inside and they'd put the word on their doorframe. And so every time they walk out of the house, you'll see this in movies or you'll see this if you ever go to Israel. They'll touch it and they'll remind themselves, I'm going to live according to the law today. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live out the law in my life today. And so I have a picture. Here's a mezuzah. They're putting it up. They nail it to their doorframe, right? This is Judaism. That's how they've taken it. That's not the intended purpose, though. That's external. We're talking about issues of the heart, right? We're talking about issues of the heart. That's not fully what this passage is saying. Notice back with me. Look at the verse. It says that this passionate and exclusive love and worship of Yahweh shall be as a sign to others, as a sign on your hand, right? As, remember, look at the word as. It shall be as a sign on your head, as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, the inward reality of loving God and no other gods will be demonstrated obviously by your actions. We're talking about a testimony to your children. We're talking about living it out to your children. It's going to be as a sign on your hand. That means your deeds, everything you do with your hands will be a sign to your children and a witness and a testimony to your love of God to your children. 
as frontlets between your eyes, right? That means that everything you think about and everything you, you look at, that is going to be assigned to your children. That is going to be assigned to your children and a testimony to your children of your love of God, your love of Yahweh, exclusively and passionately. On your gate, on your doorframe. That's going to be whether you're going, whether you're returning. You live the same at home as you do at the workplace. And that will be a testimony to your children. That's what that means. The way you live a spiritual legacy is by children seeing you love God with all your heart at all times. Isn't it amazing how our kids copy us? Parents, isn't that true? Your kids copy you. They do the things you do. I saw this commercial one time several years back, and the father and son, um, they did whatever the other one did. So the father's in front of the mirror, and he's got his comb out, and he's combing his hair, right? Well, next thing you know, the son has, has pulled his way up onto the counter, and he's combing his hair too. The dad's putting on his shoes, and the son's doing the same thing he's putting on his shoes. So cute, innocent. Next thing you know, he's putting on his jacket, getting ready to walk out the door. The son does the same thing. They're, getting, they're both walking out of the door together. And then it had, a, it had a really, I thought it had a really interesting twist to it at the very end. Maybe you remember this commercial a few years ago. Dad pulls out of his pocket a pack of cigarettes and starts lighting one up. And the very last scene of the commercial is this little boy who does everything his dad does, and you see those two little eyes looking into the cigarette case. Very powerful. It's very powerful. It gets across the point, doesn't it? Our children follow our direction. They do. Our kids copy us, and they need to see passion for God in your heart. They do. If you place a priority on being in the household of God, among the people of God, when they grow up, they shall not depart far from that. If you place a priority on reading and studying your Bible, I love this. Every day I would come into the living room, dad's already studying his Bible as we're about to start our Bible study. He's already praying, right? I remember that vividly. Um, And he's already praying. If you do that, your kids will see and they'll follow. If they see integrity as something you value, they're going to have integrity. Do you want them to pray? Do you want your kids to pray? Absolutely. Let them see you praying hard and passionately. I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Dallas Seminary Prof uh, uh, Hendricks died. Um, a lot of us were, were in mourning. Howard Hendricks, he was a very famous prof, loved him, had him in class. I love that guy. And uh, he died, I believe it was about two and a half weeks ago. Very sad. Um, hey, our loss, heaven's gain, right? But uh, at the same time, it's still hard for us who have, who have uh, I think he's had 60 years of training guys in seminary. 60 years at Dallas Seminary, just incredible. But two weeks ago, he died, and, uh, but I, I was just thinking back to something he told me in class one day. He told us this story about how a couple of his former students came by after class, and these students were sons of an evangelical pastor, big-name pastor. He didn't tell us who it was, but they were sons of this pastor. They're twins, 
And he came, they, uh, they came by, and he asked them a couple of questions. He said, boys, what do you remember about your dad? And one of them said, you know, one of the things I loved about my dad, and I'll never forget this, even to whenever I was a teenager, dad would always just take the furniture and just push it all out of the way. And we would have world wrestling in the living room all night. And it was awesome. And we had so much fun. He just played with us. It was great. He spent time with us. And the other one looked at Hendrix and said, you know what I remember about dad? I had a paper route. Five in the morning. Nobody's up at five in the morning. I had a paper route at five in the morning. And I would always walk by my dad's bedroom and the door would just be cracked and I'd kind of peek in because the light's on. And I'd listen, and Dad was in there on his knees praying for me. He didn't know I was there. And he was, he was praying for me. He was praying for the sins in my life, that I would turn from them. He was praying that as I was at school, and as I was at school, I would live strong in the faith, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't fall to temptation, but God would deliver me. I will always remember that about my father. And then Hendricks had a way of just really driving the point home as he told us this story. He would always look down over the lectern and he would pull down his glasses and he'd look at all of us students at Dallas and he'd look at us and say, hey, so what will your children remember you for? I want to be that. There's something in me. I want to be that. How about you? Do you want to be a, a father and a mother that is so devoted to your children that you spend time praying for them? And that they see you being passionate about God and pursuing God. Make your actions, what do you bind to your hand and what you think about and what you look at and what you live, the life you live outside the church and the life you live at your home. Make that the loudest sermon you're ever going to preach to your kids. Are you a godly example? Or would your kids say of you, my dad's faith is only as good as the Sunday service. The rest of the week he's in trouble. Be an authentic testimony for your children's eyes. Guys, there's three things from this passage. You've got to have teaching, talking, and testimony. And because without success, there's no successions. And as we finish today, I want you to think back to where we started with Jonathan Edwards. Maybe you're saying, hey, I'm not Jonathan Edwards, and I'm, I don't have... And I don't come from a family tree like Jonathan Edwards. Maybe even some of you would say, I'm a first-generation Christian. I, this, is, this is it. This is, I don't have a godly legacy. Here's what I would say to you. This is more important for you than anyone else. Start right now. You be the Jonathan Edwards. You be the guy. You be the wife. You be the, the husband who leaves behind a legacy for your children so that the next 200 years will look different than the last 200 years. You have the opportunity to correct course. And by God's grace, things can be turned around. Or maybe you feel like you've blown it. I don't know. Maybe you say, my kids are gone. I want to give you a word of hope this morning. The Bible says that it's in the end that your children will not depart from the truth of God's word. Right? Train up a child in the way he shall go. And in the end, he shall not depart far from it. Now, that's not a promise. It's a principle, right? 
But at the same time, the Word of God is, is powerful. And I want to give you hope in the Word of God. And I also want to say to parents and grandparents who, whose kids are already gone, maybe you say, I blew it with my kids. Don't blow it with your grandkids, okay? Don't blow it with your grandkids. Invest in your grandkids. And by the way, you can continue to invest in your children. I have a guy in my church. He's 70 years old. He has two kids. One of them is, is living in the world, lost. He spends every week writing a letter to his son. Every week, he writes a letter to his son. I love that. He hasn't given up. He's still being the father. He's still being the spiritual leader of the family. Be that. Live that out. So, hey, I want to give you some things for parents, just some applications that you can write down uh, from this study. Things that I've sort of tried to do as I'm learning. I'm a new dad. I'm trying to figure all this out. And so some of you have done this a lot longer than me, and you could give me some pointers after the lesson. But the first thing I would say to you, number one, have family devotions daily. Have daily family devotions. Dads, by the way, you've really got to be the leader of this. You've got to be the spiritual leader in your home. Sit down with your family, lead them in the scriptures and to study God's word daily. And if you're not doing this, start today. Start today. Number two, second application. Make sure your children know the gospel. Drive it home in every, every chance that you get. I ask my son all the time, Caleb, what uh, what Jesus do? And he will just almost uh, creedily give back to me. He died on the cross for my sins. Died on the cross for my sins, right? He knows exactly what to say. He, he may not understand it yet, right? Uh, but that's the purpose of, of things like uh, the Nicaea Creed and things like that, to give us understanding, right? Repetition is the mother of learning. So we repeat it all the time. Make sure your kids know the gospel. Make sure they're founded in the gospel. Quiz them on the gospel. I sat down with some kids the other night. So, hey, this baptism thing. Yeah, it says believe and be baptized, right? So baptism, that's a part of salvation, right? You got to be saved. I mean, you got to be baptized to be saved. And they're like, they're having to think through it. Well, it says, oh, Ephesians 2, uh, well, you know, and they're thinking through and eventually we get to the point, no, it's not of works. Baptism is a work. We're not, we're not saved through baptism. Quiz them, but make sure they know the gospel. Number three, parents make the most of your time. There are leeches that would steal you from your role as teacher and talker and discipler. Make the most of your time. Perhaps it's work. Perhaps you're doing too much at work or, you're, or you have games or entertainment or movies. But I just want to say to you, your time is short. Be sober about this. Teach your children while you have them. Time is short. Number four, make sure you have a relationship with your kids. I have a, a, a pastor friend, one of my best friends at, at uh, Kindred, Dave Doyle. He's going to be coming here, I think, in a month to speak. And uh, I love Dave, but he has this saying, and he uses it all the time. Uh, you need to make your home life so much fun that your kids don't want to leave. All right? Just because we're believers doesn't mean we don't have a good time. Have a relationship with your kid and have a home life that's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Do stuff with your kids. Be with them all the time so that you'll have those opportunities to talk to them, right? Do stuff with them. Take them hiking. Why? So you can talk to them. Take them, I don't know, whitewater rafting. Do something with them. Why? So you can talk to them. 
And, and that, that statement's really true, guys. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. You've heard that before? Make sure you have a relationship with your children. Number five, and I, I'm just going to reiterate this one because it's so important, live a testimony. Be that testimony. You're the example. They'll not see God as a treasure if they don't see you treasuring God, right? Take a stand. Make sure church life is your whole life, the most important thing in your life. Be committed to the one another's of Scripture. Be committed to each other. Be committed to the church events. Be committed to uh, things happening at church over things happening outside the church. Some people, they'll leave church activities in lieu of, I don't know, sports or all sorts of other activities. Be committed to the church. That's what I would say to you. I want to close with this. Uh, last week, Dennis Rodman was back in the news. Did you see that? Yeah. Kim Jong-un, I believe. Kim Jong-un, he, uh, he and Dennis are now BFFs. That's right. They are close. And, uh, you know, I... Th- he just got my mind going, what, what produces a guy like Dennis Rodman? And I know there's other guys. He's not the only one. Guys like Howard Stern, you know what I mean? These guys who are just the way they are. They're bo- these guys, Howard Stern, Dennis Rodman, they're both vile. They're both rich. They're both famous. They're both profane. They're both rebellious. They're both rude. They're both role models. What produces something like that? And I thought this was so interesting. Listen to this. Dennis Rodman has not seen his father in 35 years. His dad lives in the Philippines with two wives and 15 children. Howard Stern's dad got up every day, cussed out Howard Stern, and told him he was worthless every day. I look at both of those guys' parents, and I say, poor teachers, poor talkers, and poor testimonies. Parents, the legacy is in your hands. Your, your children's future is in your hands. And by God's grace, you can, by God's grace, you can raise up another generation that loves God and loves people and gives themselves for people. But you've got to have, um, got to have the, the teaching and the talking and the testimony that speaks of an exclusive and passionate love of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we receive these instructions, and Father, it's, we realize the task is daunting, and really it's impossible. I can't do this. Apart from your grace, I can do nothing. It's, it's too much. I don't have enough willpower to get this done. This is a heavy job, a high job, high calling. And I don't have the power to do this, Lord, as a, as a parent. This is impossible. Father, by your grace and by your mercy, all things are possible. And Lord, we just ask today for mercy on our families and on our children and on our grandchildren and our future children for those who haven't had children yet. Father, wherever we're at in life, Lord, I I just pray that you would give us the grace to fulfill this instruction to be a people who are so passionately in love with you and so enthralled with the gospel of Jesus Christ that says whosoever comes and Father, whosoever looks upon Jesus and believes in their heart 
that can be saved of their sins. Father, that we're so passionate about worshiping you who has, who has sent your son to die on a cross for our sins. Father, that we would give ourselves to the raising up of another generation. God, we need your help. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And we pray these things in the precious name of your son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.